When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Happier, where we are in week three of the month of tendencies. This week, all about obligers. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and the four tendencies. I'm in New York City, and with me, my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who is an obliger. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretch, I think it's safe to say that this week I'm in the hot seat. But before we get into uh, Obligers, yeah. let's have a quick update because you're going to be on Oprah's show, Super Soul Sunday. When is it again, Gretch? It's November 8th at 7 p.m. on the OWN Network. Very exciting. So November 8th, tune in. Uh, I will be live tweeting, allegedly. Um, yeah, I'm very excited, very excited. I can't wait to see it because I was there when you taped it. Okay, and that has to have been one of our all-time top sister adventures that we've ever done together. A hundred percent. It was so surreal. I remember I was at Benihana having a birthday lunch. And I got your email that you were going to be on Super Soul Sunday and you could bring a guest. And did I want to go? And I was like, this is the best birthday present ever. Because not only were you taping it, but it tapes on Oprah's property in Montecito, which is near Santa Barbara. Like I went to your house. We went in your car. You, you both of us hate to drive, but you actually did drive. And I felt like we were like Thelma and Louise. Like a road trip. Yeah, like Thelma and Louise. Like we're busting out of town. And uh, of course, like you had to try on a couple of outfits for me. Um, yes. I had I had done all that work well before all my uh, anxiety about what to wear. And so we did your outfit. And then we went to the hotel and like had dinner by the beach and it was just great. And it was so nice for me because I would have been nervous, except having you there made it all seem so much more playful. 
Yeah, and we got to share a hotel room, and uh, I got my hair blown yes. out because even though I wasn't going to be on TV, I you know I had to have good hair if I was going to be in the vicinity of Oprah Winfrey. Absolutely! Oh my gosh, I know I, we have a selfie that we took uh, right before we left. I'll have to see if I can post that to this blog post for this episode. Um, the, the funny thing was, I was nervous. I was so much less nervous because you were there. But also a couple of friends of mine had said, people I knew, not not necessarily friends, but people I knew who had done Oprah, and I had asked them for advice. And they were like, she is the master. Mm-hmm. You know, let it, let her, like, just do follow her lead. Let her be in control. She's the best in the world. And uh, just you're safe in her hands. And that was such great advice because um, it was true. It was true. Yeah, it was so cool watching it because it was just like you guys sat down and started talking and then suddenly the interview was happening and you didn't even know it had started. And she's just so natural. Obviously, she's, you know, the the best. Uh, And it was a great interview and I can't wait to see it on TV. I literally remember nothing. (laughs) Yeah, I probably remember more than you do. And we had our moment to just like have a real like casual conversation with Oprah afterwards. Yeah, that was very satisfying. Afterward, that was really fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's gonna be exciting to see it. Yeah, November 8th, 7pm on OWN. Yes. So now it's time for the try this at home. And, And we're in the episode of obligers. So let me just do a quick inter- a quick overview of this framework for anybody who's just coming in. It's how you deal with an expectation, outer expectations like a work deadline, inner expectations like uh, a New Year's resolution. So upholders, who we talked about before, readily respond to outer and inner alike. Questioners question all expectations. That was last episode where we talked about questioners. And today we're going to focus on your tendency, Elizabeth, and obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And I, I mean, I think you feel like that pretty much does describe you. you. Yeah. Yeah. And so the key for obligers, and this is like the absolutely most important thing that I think emerged, I think of everything from the framework, the most important, the thing that people have been most excited about that's been most helpful for them in like being happier, healthier, and more productive and fixing their habits, et cetera, is the idea that if you are an obliger, the solution to this issue of not being able to meet inner expectations, but then always meeting outer expectations, is if there is something that you want to do just for yourself, if there's an inner expectation you want to meet, you have to create a system of outer accountability. That's the solution. Don't try to rely on inner accountability, just create outer accountability. And then you can do anything. And so the try this at home this week is, if you are an obliger or if you're around an obliger, which this is the biggest tendency, the most people of all, of all the tendencies fit into obliger tendencies. So you certainly either are one or know a ton. Um, help the obliger to figure out a system of outer accountability for something that they're struggling to do because it's an inner expectation that's not being met. Right. So it'd be like if you know somebody who really wants to get into running get them to join a running club. I know someone who's right now who's um, training for the marathon. Yeah. And so every Saturday she meets with, the, you know, with her group and they run six miles this week and 10 miles the next week and they have their whole system. And that, uh, you know, that makes her able to train for a marathon. But I'm sure it's quite likely if she were just jogging on her own, she wouldn't do it. 
And what's interesting about obligers is like all the tendencies, there's there's a huge range within the tendencies. So some people are, are like very easily feel obligated to do things. Some obligers only feel obligated to do something if they're actually going to get in trouble from a real person. Um, and the kinds of things that trigger people's feelings of accountability are different. So you mentioned like joining a group like that. For many obligers, that's really that's really helpful. But then other obligers have said to me like, eh, it doesn't really work for me if if nobody really is counting on me, if nobody's depending on me, if they're just, if it's just like, oh, show up, they don't really care. Or like for some obligers, paying for something, no. like paying for class makes them feel like they have to go. But then for some obligers, it's almost like it feel, lets them feel like they're off the hook. They're like, well, I paid, so like, why do I need right. to go? So if you are an obliger, you really have to think about what is going to do it for you, what is going to trigger that feeling of accountability. Because because people really vary. A lot of times, this is fascinating to me, a lot of times obligers are very uh, influenced by their duty to other people as a role model yeah. or like to help other people with their habits. And so somebody, she and her husband made an agreement that he can't exercise unless she exercised the day before. Mm, wow. So unless she exercises, he can't exercise. That is pressure. She feels like she has to exercise or else she's the one who's stopping her husband from exercising. I mean, I think that's, and I've been amazed by all the ingenious solutions that obligers have come up with to give themselves outer accountability for inner expectations. Yeah, I know for me, I really respond to feeling responsible to a person like informed fitness. I feel guilty if I don't show up, you know, about Sheila, my trainer, who's expecting me to be there. And even though I would have to pay for it because, you know, if you cancel within a certain time, you have to pay anyway, I still just feel like I'm letting her down. So I rarely, I mean, I only cancel if I really, you know, have to. I never just skip it because I feel like it, even though I never want to go, of course. But so, Elizabeth, this brings up the your novel, which we've talked yeah. about over yes. many episodes. And I thought the accountability of like all our listeners would be something that might trigger your feeling of needing to do it. But it turns out that doesn't work. I know. I don't know why not. <laughs> you know, whatever. Work with yourself, you know, as your sister. I think the thing that would really make you do it, and I, I don't think you, I don't know that you're going to want to do this, is I think you need to get a contract. Ugh. And the reason you say, uh, is you know that if you had a contract, you would actually do the work. I know. It just sounds (laughs) so awful to have, like, deadlines. Um, That's assuming I could sell it on the treatment. So here, can I make a suggestion? So I think that time is not right for you right now to do it because it's too much to do on top of everything else you've got going. So maybe what you want to do is you want to create an accountability to yourself to like be pondering it, to have it be active in your mind, to be taking notes, but you don't actually expect yourself Ah. to be writing. And then when, because if your schedule as a TV writer, you do sometimes have these open bits of time. Maybe you want to think about writing it then, like slotting it in where it can be kind of your central project instead of this thing that you're doing on top of everything else, because that doesn't seem to be working because you don't want to set yourself up for failure um, and you don't want to set yourself up to be go, go crazy. But maybe you can find ways to keep it alive in your imagination and be doing easy work that then will pay off when you come time to do the really heavy lifting. That's a great idea. I feel like I see if I take the pressure off having to actually form sentences, that I think would free me up to, 
you know, do the work you're talking about and then be ready to write. I think that's a great idea. Okay. And then I think what I have to do, then when I have that time you're talking about, like a hiatus, uh, I need to do a boot camp. Yes. And so we're going to hold you to this. Okay. Okay. And hopefully this will work um, in terms of helping an obliger to create a system of outer accountability. Um, so... Listeners, um, try this at home. So we just tried that at home right here. We just tried this at home. We We just tried it it in the studio. Um, Yes. And let us know because it's really helpful, I think, to hear what other, how people have done this because people come up with these crazy cool ways about how to create this kind of outer accountability. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing, from hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting. His retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And Gretch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job? Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com happier. That's storyworth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. Okay, Elizabeth, it's, it's strengths and weaknesses for obligers. So I'm going to give my quick thoughts and then you weigh in about whether, what you think. Okay. So to me, the strengths of the obliger is like they are the rock of the world. They come through. They get along with everybody. It's very appropriate that they're obligers because they're like typo. They get along with everyone. They're great team members, great leaders, you know, because you're, the people following you put expectations on you that leaders meet. They're great friends, great family members. And I feel like the weaknesses of obligers really fall on them. I feel like mm-hmm. que- like upholders, questioners, and rebels, like other people are kind of the ones who right. bear the burden of Suffer. like, yeah, it's like, you're like, oh my gosh, you're so rigid and judgmental, you upholder. And I'm like, well, whatever, deal with it. Um, but for, But it's like obligers often say they don't like that tendency, like, um, they they feel that they are meeting outer expectations and not meeting inner expectations, and that can be really frustrating th- for them. And so, so what do you what do you think of of it as as an obliger? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I don't know that I even see strengths because it's just who I am. So it just seems normal to me. And I definitely feel, as we've discussed, you know, pressure to live up to whatever promises I make. Um, and you're right. It's absolutely true that when you don't meet your inner expectations, it can leave you kind of depressed because that might be your biggest priority, you know? Yes. Um, and yet you're just sort of, I don't want to say ignoring it, but it's like you see it and then you don't react to it. But it and, and that's why I think it's so important. And I just like, I, I know I keep saying this and I just, because I feel like it's so helpful to know for obligers is that the key is outer accountability. That is what helps. So if you are feeling that frustration because you're not meeting an inner expectation, this, the thing is just to move that expectation outward 
And then like somebody who said like, oh, you know, I always wanted to go to games, but I never went. Um, and I kept be- feeling disappointed and like, why can't I even go? Like, why can't I even go to a game that I enjoy? But it's like, oh, then I got season tickets with my brother and he gets really annoyed if I don't go. So now I go all the time. So it's like, mm-hmm. just move it from inner to outer. And then it then it becomes so much easier. Yeah. And this is the whole weight loss thing. Like, I know you were talking about a friend who would go on and off Weight Watchers. Yeah, yeah. Well, this wasn't a friend. This was somebody who contacted me, so it was a reader. But um, it was it's a fascinating example. So what she was saying, and I think this resonates with so many people, she said, okay, she would go on and off Weight Watchers, and you know, and two, you know, more times than she could count. And what would happen is she would join Weight Watchers, she would have success, and then she'd think, well, why am I spending all this time and money doing something where I know perfectly well what I'm supposed to do? So I'll stop going to Weight Watchers, and I'll just do it on my own. And then as soon as I was doing it on my own, I would completely like start not sticking to it and I would gain all the way back and I would get really depressed. Why don't I have any self-control? I have no willpower, all this. And she said, well, now that I know that I'm obliger, I completely see a difference. She said, Weight Watchers hasn't changed, but the way I view it has changed. And she said, I switch groups so that I'm in a much more fun, lively group. So I enjoy the group much more. And I really see that accountability to them as the crucial element. It's not the other stuff that's crucial for her. It's the accountability to that group. And, and I think for so, that's true in so many contexts. Yeah, well, it's funny because that run resonates with me because whenever I do Jenny Craig, I easily lose weight. It's like no effort for me whatsoever. Um, and then it's the exact same thing. I go, oh, well, now I know what to yeah. eat. And, oh, I'll just buy <laughs> yeah. Lean Cuisines because it's basically the same thing. And I'll eat those and then I won't have to go to the place every week. It's such a hassle. And then as soon as I do that, it it all falls apart. So now, of course, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I should go back to Jenny Craig, Um, which, you know. Well, one time you said something I thought was so interesting, which was that you felt like you had a sense of obligation to your diabetes. Oh, yeah, that's true. And so how does that Um, how does that come up? Well, I think it's probably really tied to my doctor because, like I said, I feel a big obligation to individual people. Ah. So, you know, if he tells me to come to see him, I just feel like I have to do it. You know, it doesn't occur to me to be like, well, I'm just not going to go for six months. What's he going to do? Chase me down? You know, <laughs> even though I think a lot of people do that. If they go, well, I'm basically all right. I don't really need to see him. Um, And knowing that I'm going to have to then talk to him about my numbers and about what I've been doing makes me, you know, feel like I have to do it. And you know what he told me? He's had patients actually leave him because they thought he was too nice and they wanted a doctor who would yell at them and be mean. (gasps) Oh, but see, this is a key point. This is a key, 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 key point that when you understand the tendencies, then you can understand how to play a role for someone else better. Because what those people were probably saying is, I'm an obliger. I need you to help me by creating, giving me a heightened sense of outer accountability. If you're too nice, then I'll feel like I can blow it off. And so I think if you're a doctor or you're like in so many roles, um, like you're a you're a book editor, you know, and somebody's like, I need deadlines. And you're like, no, no, just write it when you're ready. It's like, no, I need a deadline because I need you to hold me accountable in order to be able to do it. And so that's a great example of how a doctor might have a very different way of speaking to different patients depending on their tendency, because what they need will be so different in terms of what's going to help them comply. But you know what's interesting, Gretchen, I think you and I have talked about this. Um, I don't know that we've talked about it on this podcast, is that 
a spouse doesn't necessarily count as an outer person. <gasps> yes. If you're really close to someone, it's like answering to yourself. So it's almost like you can just ignore their expectations as well as your own. Right. Because what's inner and what's outer is different for different people. So like, do you, have you experienced this yourself with Adam? Like, yeah, I mean, I've definitely, um, I think that, you know, he would like me to clean my closet and he would you know, have an expectation <laughs> of that. And I ignore it. Um, although I'm trying to be better than about that as we've discussed at length. But I noticed, for instance, with him, because I think he's an obliger, um, although sometimes I question that, but that's a whole other yeah. story. Um, if I want him to remember something, like, say, to bring a check to somebody, we have to pay for something. Yeah. He's more likely to do it and to remember if I forward him the email from the person requesting the check rather than me telling him because it's not me asking at that point. It's this, you know, other person who has more weight. And I don't take that offense to that. I think it's just you're so close to your spouse that, you know, it's sort of in one ear and out the other. Right, 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 right. Oh, that is so interesting. No, and I've noticed that with the blighters or sometimes it's like, They'll do anything for their kids unless it's a client. And then if it's a client, that's like that outer trumps the outer of a child because a child is closer than there's sort of people have these different concentric circles of what's outer and what's inner and like what gets upheld in what order. Yeah. Um, but then for some people, there might their children might be, you know, or at least, you know, circumstances, circumstances, too, I'm sure would make a difference. Um yeah, and sometimes I think it's it's an unnecessary obligation. Like, say you're you're playing with your kid and you get an email from work that you really don't need to respond to immediately. There's this compulsion to to respond. Uh, well, that's a perfect segue to our next section on the striking pattern of obligers, obliger rebellion. Ah. What striking pattern do obligers have? Well, this is really interesting. Um, because obligers do feel like they're constantly meeting outer expectations and they're not meeting their inner expectations, they're very susceptible to feeling burned out and mm. feeling resentment. And they feel this in immense frustration because what they see is that they're doing everything for everybody else, but not for themselves. And they don't often understand that it's because of this missing element of outer accountability. So a lot of times they think it's sacrifice or that they're, you know, they're putting other people's priorities in front of their own. And this can lead to something that I call obliger rebellion. And what happens is an obliger will meet, 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 meet expectations and then randomly almost and very oftentimes, dramatically, they will refuse to meet an expectation. It's like they put down their foot and they're like, this I will not do. And sometimes it's small and symbolic and kind of funny. And sometimes it's hugely destructive. Like someone leaving their family kind of thing? I mean, I haven't heard of that, but I think that's the kind of thing. Um, like I heard about, I, I was doing an interview one time with and a journalist was saying how his wife had done this. She had a very needy friend and they'd been friends for like 20 years, like really, really long standing friendship went way, went way back. But she was needy and she was demanding and his wife was an obliger. And um, and at one point she was just like, that's it. I'm done. I've had enough. And she just ended the friendship like overnight and just kind of blew it up. And he was a questioner. He's like, well, why couldn't you like establish boundaries and have a sit down with her? And and he didn't understand like why there was no work. Like, let's work toward this kind of let's figure out how to resolve this. She was just like, no, I've had enough. I'm blowing it up. 
And so it can be very destructive if it's unchecked. Well, it's funny. I don't know that I have ever experienced this obliger rebellion. I can't think of one with you. And it's interesting because all these all these tendencies can be more and less intense in people. And it's mixed up with all other things like how ambitious are you? How considerate are, are you? How creative are you? Like, so it's just one element of personality. And I would say that I don't think that you're a too intense obliger. Some obligers feel enormously obligated to meet all kinds of expectations. And so that means that their resentment and their burnout is higher. Whereas I feel like for you, it's not so overwhelming. Yeah, I think I, although I do respond to outer expectation, I think I'm good at deciding what those outer expectations are going to be. Mm. So I don't blindly say yes to people just because they're asking, which I think a lot of obligers maybe have the, um, sometimes they do that. I can say no, and then I don't have that expectation because I said no. Right. Well, one of the things I've always admired about you and have tried to emulate since we were little is I feel like you have a very clear sense of who you are and what's right for you. And I feel like maybe that's part of why you can be you can handle the kind of the downsides of being an obliger more easily because you're sort of like, well, that's an expectation that's not right for me. I'm not going to I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say yes to that. I'm not going to feel bad about saying no to that because that's not that's not the right thing for me to do. Yeah. And then once I do say yes to something, I feel enormous obligation to do whatever I said I was going to do. And I will stress about it and be anxious about it. And so therefore, it's really important that I not say yes to things that I don't want to do. Well, and it's interesting because like talking about the like doing this podcast together versus doing this novel, like the podcast, you have no trouble meeting all your obligations. Like you do everything right. that you're supposed to do without any effort. Like, I mean, there's effort to do it, but you, you don't have any trouble making yourself do it because like there's so much, there's such an infrastructure of expectation. Whereas the novel, you know, when it's just you doing it for yourself, then that's much more of a struggle. Yeah, it's funny. It's like, you know, I hear early to record and it's like, there is no way <laughs> that I would be late, you know, and and it just wouldn't happen. However, I can say I'm going to sit down and work on my book. Um, and then I end up surfing the internet, you know, so you're exactly right. But so here's a super important thing to point out for obligers. And I think probably you unconsciously realize this about yourself. But I think it's very important to point it out to obligers, because it's a mistake they often make, and it can have very bad consequences. Obligers often think if outer expectations would be removed, inner expectations could be fulfilled. So they might think, oh, if I didn't have the responsibility of the podcast and all the time and energy that I'm putting into the podcast, then I would have plenty of time to write my novel. In fact, that does not work. And over and over, I've seen obligers get rid of an outer expectation, like take a sabbatical from work or quit their job or, you know, do, you know, try to get rid of something thinking like, well, if I don't have that, then I would have no trouble meeting the inner expectation. But that doesn't help because what an, what an obliger needs is outer accountability. For instance, a friend of mine was like, oh, well, you know, I was talking to her and trying to say, well, I think you're an obliger and so you need outer accountability. And she said, well, I think you're right because for years I said the only reason I didn't exercise was because I had kids at home and so I had no time. But now both my kids have been in college for several months and I still haven't exercised. It's like, yeah, because that's not what's the outer expectation is not the thing that's keeping you. Yeah, I think that's hugely important not to give up an outer expectation with this notion that then everything is going to magically fall into place. Instead, 
prioritize what you want to do and create a system where you're going to actually do it. Yeah. And I have to say also with a back to Obliger Rebellion, one of the Obliger Rebellion often seems to center on issues of diet and exercise. And I, maybe that's because these are these are issues that fundamentally are within the total control of the Obliger. But often when I when I've talked to people who are Obligers and they're like, they'll be so faithful. They're being so amazing at like fulfilling expectations in every front like work, family, relationships, friends, all this stuff. But then when it comes to like doing their back exercises or going to the gym or, you know, those are the things where the obliger rebellion and obligers will often say, I don't know why it is that there's this one area where I feel like I just can't get myself to do it. And it's like, well, you need to build in an outer expectation there. Or if even outer expectations not working, maybe you need to think about a whole different way of conceptualizing that. Because if you're in a full obliger rebellion, it's a tricky situation. So listen, look, look, I mean, I can't, you and I can't think of examples of a larger rebellion, but look and see if there are even maybe like small symbolic ways that you're doing this. It'd be interesting to know if, if this is, this is a pattern that you just don't experience or if you do have it in kind of more subtle ways. Yeah. Or maybe I don't even realize I'm doing it. Like when I don't exercise or don't eat right, maybe it's my own unconscious obliger rebellion. And now it's time for a listener question. So again, if you want to uh, leave your voicemail question, call 774-277-9336, or easier to remember, 77-HAPPY-336. This week's question comes from Terry. She says, I am an obliger and find the fact that meeting commitments to others is more important than meeting commitments I make to myself disturbing. I should be my priority, especially if I want to serve others well. My question is, is it possible to move from one tendency to another? I would be better served and no doubt happier if I valued commitments to myself as highly as I do commitments to others. In other words, is it possible to go from being an obliger to an upholder? Well, Gretch, I have to say, I feel like this is a question we got, have gotten from so many people asking can you move from one tendency to another? Right, right. And we talked a little bit about that in uh, the the episode where we talked about upholders. But I think it's worth repeating that I think that, it, at least in my view, my observation, it's kind of like instead of spending the time and the energy to try to change yourself, which is probably impossible, um, just figure out a fix. Like just because the thing that's nice about the obliger tendency is that it's the easiest one to offset the limitations because if there's mm. inner expectations you can't meet, you just build in outer accountability. And so like, and so then you end up where you want to go, like in a snap, instead of like spending all this time trying to change your true nature. Right. So instead of beating herself up for who she is, Terry should just figure out ways to be her best self. Yes. Just figure out the solution to the 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 need for outer accountability because then she's going to act like an upholder insofar as she wants to act like an upholder but then she won't be you know uh, and she won't have to be trying to to do this like deep work just do the easy shortcut yeah. way yeah. <laughs> take yes for an answer yeah exactly Exactly. And then we had this great voicemail um, from someone talking about how they put their knowledge that that, that um, she and her husband were both obligers to work. And it's a great example of, um, of uh, figuring out your tendency and then using that knowledge to figure out how to solve a challenging question. Hi, Gretchen and Elizabeth. Uh, my name is Bonnie. I'm from Seattle, Washington. 
Um, I took the four tendencies quiz with my husband um, back in March this year, and we turns out we we're both obligers. So we decided to take Aikido together, and we're both uh, yellow belts now, and we've been having a really good time with it. Um, neither of us were great about exercising before we started doing this together. So it's been a big life changer, and I just want to thank you. Now, Gretchen, it's interesting, since they're both obligers, do you think that the Aikido class that they had to go to is what um, they're responding to, or the fact that they're exercise buddies now? Both. I mean, I think this is a brilliant solution because it's like it's like you might as well double down on external accountability. Right. Now they have two kinds. So that way, like even if one spouse can't go, the other one still feels like, oh, well, I still got to go to the class because the teacher's expecting me. It's always good to have as many kind of backup layers as possible. So this is double accountability. So they're probably really going to have an, a much easier time sticking to it. Brilliant. They're going to end up black belts by the end of this thing. Yes. Let us know when you get at your black belt. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, it's demerits and gold stars. And Elizabeth, I believe I am up for a demerit. Yes, let's hear it. So this is actually a demerit that I'm going to move out of the demerit category. Um, now, the thing about demerits um, is that we give ourselves demerits, not to beat ourselves up, but because we want to be in the habit of identifying possible areas of change. Because when we give ourselves demerits, it's because we've done something that's interfered with our happiness or our, our good habits or whatever. And so when you find a demerit, it's a way to spotlight possible change. So one thing that I've been consistently giving myself a demerit for is that when I travel, like I'll often travel overnight to speak. And a demerit that I would give is I often don't use that time very efficiently. Like I'll be, you know, it, it, before I leave, I'm like, oh, I'll just be sitting in the airport and then I'll be sitting on a plane and then I'll be sitting in a hotel room. I'll just like work like a dog and get all this stuff done. And then I just end up staring into space and and, <laughs> uh, and, and, and not doing very much with it. And And I don't really know why that is. Sometimes certain kinds of work I can do especially in the hotel room I can work. But like for some reason, when I travel, it's very, very hard. And so I was giving myself demerit after demerit for this and trying to figure out how to solve it. And then I thought, you know what? I'm taking away the demerit. Oh. I'm just going to acknowledge this is the situation. And I'm going to use the time differently. And I never have enough time to read for fun. And so I'm going to reuse this time to read for fun. And so now I'm like, I pack a couple novels or memoirs or whatever it is I want. I want to read a YA book. And... I use that time to read for fun. And I've only done it for the last couple trips, but it's been so amazing because I got rid of the bad feeling and now I'm having all this great time to read. Yeah, it's got to make you look forward to traveling, whereas maybe you would have dreaded it otherwise. Yeah. 
I was partially inspired by a friend who travels all the time for work, and she reads only she only reads novels on airplanes. She and I was like, that's a good idea. So anyway, so that demerit is wiped away and being replaced with tons of fun reading. Good for you. Yeah. Now, what's your gold star? My gold star goes to Adam, my husband. The um, recently, you know, Jack started kindergarten and we've been sort of in a higher stress mode than we were in preschool because we have to get there on time and it's we have to get up really early and it's that thing in the morning that everyone knows where you're just running around and crazy. <laughs> and we were really starting to do a lot of yelling. Um yelling at Jack, you know, like, come on, you know, get in here and brush your teeth and then snapping at each other also. Um, just in the stress of it all. And so the other day, Adam said, you know what, from now on, let's not use any unkind voices. He said that to Jack and me. Ah. And I was so glad because the second he said that, I realized he's exactly right. We do not want to have this these unkind voices um, floating around the house every morning. It's a terrible way to start the day. And it's also just not something I want seeping into Jack's system. You know, this idea that his mom's always yelling at him. So uh, we really, from that moment on, we just stopped using unkind voices. And when one of us slips, we'll say, hey, we're not using unkind voices. <laughs> and Jack is, believe me, the first one to bring that up. Like, You're talking to me in a mean voice. Um, and then we're like, no, we're not. Uh, but it really does diffuse the tension and it just makes everybody happier. And we're, you know, carrying this through not just mornings, but all the time. And I just really give Adam a gold star for having the presence of mind to say that. And then, and I give us all a gold star because we're really following through on it, including Jack. So here's my observation about that kind of thing is that it's like, it's not that hard. Like you think, oh, well, it, it would be really hard to do that. But I've done sort of similar things in my household. And I'm always surprised, like, why didn't we do this before? Like, right. it's just not that hard. Um, it's not as it's, it's, it sounds harder than it is. And then the payoff is huge. Yeah. And what I love about it is it's almost like a group project. Like we're all working on this together, you know, and so it's kind of bonding. Well, and little kids love to be the policeman, too. So if Jack can be the one who's like the cop, the unkind yes. voice cop. He loves that. So, oh, yeah. great. That's a great gold star. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Help an obliger, and that obliger might be you, uh, to create a system of outer accountability for some inner expectation that is not being met. And let us know if you tried it and what that system was, because it is so fascinating to hear all the ingenious, brilliant systems of accountability that obligers dream up to give themselves that outer accountability they need. So please let us know what's working. Thanks to our producer, Henry Malofsky. Also, thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Now, if you're interested in learning more about the four tendencies, there's a whole chapter about it in my book, um, Better Than Before, which is all about habit change, and a big part of that is the four tendencies, and you can get it in hardback and paperback and audio and all that. Um, and if you want uh, like a quick fix of information, you can go to happiercast.com slash better than before. And if you even want a free chapter 
You can sign up for my newsletter, which comes out a couple times a month, and get a free chapter of Better Than Before if you go to happiercast.com slash free chapter. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and up.